lovable. That is the turning point. That is the cornerstone of you being willing, ready, and able to have good love in your life. It starts with how you feel about yourself. And to paraphrase Maya Angelou, our recently departed great poet and writer, today's guest is a phenomenal woman. She certainly is. Santita Jackson tackles topics of political, social, cultural, and religious importance all around the world. She's the eldest child of Reverend Jesse Jackson Sr. and her mama, and she's a trailblazer. She's a writer, a speaker, and the founding contributor to The Grio, the MSNBC website dedicated to African-American news and opinion. All right, everybody, let's welcome Miss Santita Jackson. Hello, Santita. Hi. I love you, Dr. Brenda Wade. And I love Just you, love Santita you, Jackson. You. I am so thrilled that we get to have a show together. I had a wonderful time for a couple of years with you. We would do Relationship Thursday on your show oh my. in Chicago every week, and people would call in and talk about relationship issues with us. I'll never forget And people love you. Oh, thank you. But we had one couple that called in. I still remember them. And they were struggling in their marriage, and they didn't recognize that what had caused the problem was actually this intergenerational trauma we're going to talk about. So when Mm -hmm. I raise this topic with you, Santita, intergenerational trauma, and you know everybody has faced it, no matter what their background, what does that mean for you? Well, it's something that we all see, whether we recognize it or acknowledge it out loud. It's something that we all feel, whether we acknowledge it out loud. And what I love about what you're doing is that you are taking the shame out of this game that we all play with ourselves and with each other, that everything is okay. It's not, but it can be. That's the good news. When I look at intergenerational trauma, I look at my own family. You know, I mean, I know, and we have lived enough of our lives in public for more than 50 years. People have seen us at our best, and they've seen us in times of trials and tribulation. And one of the things that gives me a lot of comfort, a lot of joy about particularly those trying times, Dr. Wade, is this. People don't see a perfect family, but they see a family that's being perfected through trials and tribulations. But that having been said, a lot of, uh, some of some of the traumas that we've had in our lives, my family's life, our lives individually, collectively our life, sometimes they've been self-induced. Sometimes they've been self-inflicted. Sometimes it's harm that society's inflicted upon us. But you have to make it. But there is a fine line that I've learned from you between thriving and surviving surviving and thriving and black people if you look at my family you see everything that we have experienced i mean we have a lineage of enslaved people um we've had out of wedlock births in the generation before mine and in my own generation um we've had prison i've had cousins in prison now my brother congressman jesse jackson jr is in prison we've experienced it all you know me you've walked with me through Weight issues. You know, I've lost 200 pounds. 
I mean, we've been public, we've been private, we have been at all. But one of the things that I will give my parents a lot of credit for is reaching out for help. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it was our pastor, Pastor Clay Evans, uh, you knew that somebody was in trouble when we were growing up because in between Sunday school and the 11 o'clock service, Reverend Evans' car would pull up in front of the house. Or Dr. Alvin Poussaint, the famed Harvard professor, who's a very close family friend, who spent a lot of time with us um, because my parents didn't quite know how to put their fingers on it, but they knew when we were being traumatized by something. Yes. And so, you know, I, I have, I really appreciate what you're doing because even by bringing me out and having me share parts of my story, it helps somebody else come out. You're, you're so great for that. Uh, you are so encouraging. You fill us all with so much courage because you make us come out and you take the shame out of and the pain. And that's the key. I'm so you glad that. you said that. You said take the shame out of the pain, Santita. I love how you mm-hmm. always put it in a way that we can hold on to it and remember it because, you know, Dr. Martin Luther King had an old saying back. I think he said this back in 1968, and I read it uh, recently. In fact, our producer, LeGrand Green, shared this with yes. us. He said, the bombs in Vietnam explode at home. There's chaos in the community and emotional pain, as you said, that most of us don't understand. So one of the things that you just did was you traced a line, and I want all of our listeners Mm -hmm. to know you can join the conversation. You can call us at 347-989-0776. Cliff Dunning, our associate producer, is standing by to take your calls or hit us back on Facebook or tweet at us. Dr. Brenda Wade for Facebook or Twitter, and we'd love to hear your questions, your comments, and join the discussion. Now, Santita, one of the things is everybody's looking now at Gaza on the news, but people Mm -hmm. don't realize Detroit is Gaza, Chicago is Gaza, Oakland, California Mm -hmm. is Gaza. What does that mean to you when you say Gaza is here? At home. Well, you know what's striking to me about that, Dr. Wade? Now you're beginning to hear many of the commentators, many of the journalists say, the kind of trauma that have been experienced by the Palestinians in Gaza will take generations for them to get over. And I said, wow, I'm so glad that someone has said that. Because even as you referenced Dr. King's comment about Vietnam, I think we need to contextualize that comment, uh, Dr. Wade, because Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King was was, uh, actually, that was made in 66 when he was being pushed after the Selma Montgomery March when the civil rights movement had taken a turn. He was being pushed by some people and being pulled by other black folks away from the civil rights, from the Vietnam discussion. And others were pulling him toward the Vietnam discussion. And he said, as he, went, as he marched to the April 4th, 1967 speech, in which he declared officially his opposition to the war, he said, basically, there is a tie between Vietnam and the monies that we're putting in this war exercise and the monies that, we're, that are being drained from the revitalization of, the, of urban America. And we're seeing that today. Detroit yeah, and is there's, also, yeah, They are turning off one, water here. Yeah. 
There's <laughs> one other thing. You know, I mean, when you turn I, off I someone's water. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. No, go right ahead. You can't flush a toilet. Yes. Yeah, and Santita. I mean, and that's dehumanizing, you know? Yes, it is. It is dehumanizing. I agree. And I want to bring in, when we talk about trauma of war, it happens on both Mm -hmm. sides. I just want to put that in the discussion. Look at our veterans who have come back Mm -hmm. from Vietnam, from Afghanistan, from Iraq. Look at the trauma of the people it doesn't matter what side of that divide you're on. We're talking about generations to heal because it's dehumanizing mm-hmm. to be the one who's firing the gun, and it's dehumanizing to be fired upon. And we must Absolutely. look the deepest thing that I know you hold, and I love this about you, is you understand, and this is what you meant when you talked about your family. Human beings are not machines. We have a tendency to look at people and say, well, why should you be impacted because you went to war and carried the gun? Why should that traumatize you so badly that you come home and end up on the street addicted to substances that are all narcotics designed to numb pain? Why do we Mm -hmm. see so much of the pain relief and I'm putting it in quotes, everybody, pain relief behaviors in the African-American community where we know there are substantially higher rates of drug and alcohol addiction, gambling, and various addictions that are all designed to lower or numb pain. They're numbing out. All of these pieces fit together. Ahead, we yeah. have to because, you know, Dr. Wade, Dr. King was talking about karma. You drop a bomb over there, it explodes over here. You can't do anything good or ill to someone else, good or bad, without it returning to you. And so we have to be very careful, that is, full of care about what we say, what we think, and what we feel about people. And we have to be very honest about that which we have done and that which has been done to us and that which we do to others. And we're living in a time in which all of these things are exploding, it seems. Mm-hmm. Um, wherever you are, you, as you said, Detroit is Gaza. They're turning off people's water for as little as $150. I have a regular on my show who you've met, attorney Linda Bernard, one of the nation's preeminent civil rights lawyers. And she was talking about the dehumanizing effects of these water turnoffs, of pushing people out of the city, that they ran from Mississippi and Alabama and on and on, getting to Detroit, getting to the promised land, escaping the lynchings of the South. I mean, you already, we were already traumatized, and we got here, and now we're being traumatized again. It wasn't bad enough that the big three automakers outsourced Moved overseas. There are no jobs here. The big three automakers have been replaced by the big three casinos. That's it. That's all. You can't build a solid middle class, a functioning middle class, who can send their kids to school, to college, to vocational schools. You can't do that anymore. And it makes you feel like you're not independent. It makes you feel like you're not grown. It makes you feel unworthy. And we act it out. White, black, brown, yellow, and red. 
That's what we're all doing. We're all acting out our traumas wherever they come from. And that's why we have to stop right now. Stop. Stop. The world has stopped for Gaza, and we should have, because that situation, Dr. Wade, is not new. It has been ongoing for decades. Yes, but and now when you talk I want about, to stop I for Chicago. So. Yes, we want to stop for Chicago because we're bringing it home. And, Sentita, mm-hmm. I know you've heard me say it before, and I need to say it again. When you talked about us acting it out, the acting mm-hmm. out comes in many forms. It comes in, for our purposes, it comes in destroying that which would heal us. It comes mm-hmm. in the form of avoiding that which would actually heal us, and that's love, that's relationship. So we either, mm-hmm. we only have two choices, everybody. We either work it out and heal, or we act it out and continue the pain. So we have to work mm-hmm. it out or act it out. And what we're talking about today, Santita, is the impact of what has happened because we have been acting it out. Mm-hmm. We've been you see it. I mean, and you hurt the people that you love. And you. we don't speak truth to power. We don't even want to confront power. And so we hurt and suppress and oppress each other. We hurt, suppress, and oppress the, the least powerful among us. And, you know, when people feel good about themselves, they try to lift up other people. When people don't feel good about themselves, you know, you want people to feel as good as you feel about you. That's why you have to be careful. Mm-hmm. And so when people have been injured and when they have not worked through it, they injure other people. Mm-hmm. When people get well, they spread the healing. You and I have talked about that in our own lives. Yes. It's because of the traumas that you and I have absorbed and worked through. We say, oh, wait a minute. As I continue to work through my own traumas, I mean, I don't get to be, I didn't get to be almost 400 pounds because I liked fast food. There was a lot that I was trying to, I, there was a lot of anesthesia that I was eating. I was just trying yes. to make it yes. through. And you see it every day. I mean, I think about roots as we talk about slavery. My father's mother, who it's very clear, she is a woman of a very mixed background. And, of course, women of that era and even today were honored for that, you know, because you mm-hmm. look a certain way. You look like you are Looking mixed. like the oppressor. It, you know. mm-hmm. Absolutely. And guess what? She refused to watch Roots, and you could not discuss it with her. She was infuriated. And this this is the grandma who was just she's so sweet. I mean, she never was stern with me. This was one of the one or two times in my life that I can remember her being very stern and angered by my excitement about Roots. She said, do you know why we look as we do? Do you have any idea? And I looked at her, I said, you know, grandmother, I, I hear you. She said, no, you don't. And if you think I want to see that played out for a week, you have got to be out of your mind, my darling. Wow. I quote her. Wow. Now, mind you, I just, I could not believe that she was, and mind you, she wasn't enslaved. Her mother wasn't enslaved, but 
by not talking about it, particularly in the African-American community. Our Jewish brothers and sisters talk through the Holocaust. Now, have they walked, worked through it completely? Of course they haven't. Nobody has. That having been said, because we have not, we, it, that is taboo, and so we don't want to talk about it. We've become, this conversation, I promise you today, is going to anger a lot of people. They're going to ask why you, Dr. Wade, have gone there. Why would you want to talk about this? And many of the people who will be critical will be young, very mm-hmm. young, mm-hmm. because they look at slavery as something that victimized us, not as something that we survived. And one of the things that we can learn from our Jewish brothers and sisters is the importance of language. They're not victims of the Holocaust. They're survivors of it. And yes. if we would give our ancestors some credit for their yes. strength, whatever adjustments that they had to make to survive the horrors of slavery, we would all, all humanity would be well served. But it then does. on the other side, somebody needs to acknowledge the pain, but that somebody first needs to be us. Indeed. And Santita, you put your finger on it. Now, those who want to jump in the conversation, questions, comments, hit us back on Facebook, Dr. Brenda Wade, tweet Dr. Brenda Wade, or call 347-989-0776. I'm glad to have some time to really dig into this because, Santita, you're getting to the meat of a very complex, very, very loaded conversation And it's one that maybe for our listeners bringing up anger, as you said, or anxiety, Mm -hmm. or sadness, or shame, or blame, whatever feelings come up for you, I'm going to ask you to just breathe through it with Santita and I. Breathe through it, because the truth does indeed set us free. And we're speaking truth today. Santita is one of the best truth-tellers I've ever met, and she speaks the truth, and she sees it wherever she sees it. And the truth we're looking at is the deep pain of intergenerational cycles. And I loved what you said about reframing the experience from victim to survivor, because survivor Mm -hmm. means I found resources to move through this. So, Santita, I want to share a quick little story. Some of you have heard me talk about this before. I went on an assignment for Essence Magazine, and they sent me and my two daughters to Senegal. We were in Dakar. And while we were there, we had a guide, a young man named Abdul Sula. I will never forget him, and his friend, Lam. And as they were taking us around, Abdul said to me, well, I know why you African-Americans are the way you are. I got a little offended. I said, what do you mean the way we are? He said, oh, oh, no, no, no. He said, I don't mean any offense, please. I'm, I'm not trying to insult you. He said, you're us, but you were taken away from us. We talk about you all the time over here. We don't know how you survive." He said, I know I couldn't have survived. And it just struck me. It was so unbelievable, unbelievable that that could be the case. Now, remember, anybody who wants to 
Join the conversation when you dial that number 347-989-0776. Press the number 1 on your phone when you dial in. Press the number 1. Cliff just reminded me that I didn't say that. Thank you, Cliff. All right, Santita, <laughs> as we're talking about mm-hmm. roots, I know that you saw roots when you were a little girl. And mm-hmm. you saw the episode where the little girl Kizzy was raped. Oh boy. Oh boy. And so did the rest of the nation. And while Roots was, you know, went on to become the highest rated miniseries of all time, it still doesn't receive the credit for that because it's still such a hot, it touches so many hot button issues. Something about that episode shook the nation. And I remember the journalist, the man who read the news on Good Morning America, was so taken by the episode that he exercised a moment of personal privilege and spoke about it. And he said, I'm stepping out of my role as journalist, but I have to speak to this. Because watching Kizzy after you saw her be the beloved daughter of Chicken George, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, and she was so happy and carefree, then she is torn away from her family, and then she was raped by Master John? Are you kidding? That was our story, though. And I thank God for Alex Haley giving voice to that. We must give voice to the stories of our ancestors. That will make us whole. Because we're all more or less products of the Kizzy situation. And what that does is the commentator say? Because you, you didn't well, he, he, he said, you know, my daughter came to me and asked me why we would do that to black people. Mm. And he said, you know, he was speechless. Mm. And he basically gave an apology, you know, about and about he talked about us moving forward as a nation. And I appreciated it. I was a child. I was I was not yet a teenager. And I just said, you know, I rem- what I think we need to do, though, is just continue to walk through this. Even as a child, I felt, let's get, because this was always two, three nights in. Let's right. first get through this and let's digest this. Because one of the things that's so fascinating to me about Roots is watching how much energy was put into breaking Kunta Kinte. Yes. And Which is what we watch sec. with our black men every day. Yes, pause for one sec. We have a question, Santita. Oh, okay, Cliff, go right ahead with the question, please. Hi. Um, hi, hi, Ms. Jackson. Hi, hi Dr. Wade. Uh, this is Scott hi. from Berlin. How are you guys doing today? Great, thank you. How are you? Good, good. Um, I just had a question. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a young African-American male, and um, I just really had a question on why do young African American males, um, just just like myself, um, why do we get judged more harshly, just really by our community, uh, when we take different avenues for success? Like, say for instance, I'm I'm six three, athletic build. I didn't play sports, and my family always got upset with me. And and but I'm more of an academic. I'm more in the finance and things like that. I just want to know. It does, I just I just, I'm not, I don't understand why. Different, creating different avenues that uh, for success that are not necessarily of the norm get judged more harshly by people who are supposed to, in my opinion, support us the most. 
Mm, good question, Scott. Thank you for mm. the question. So the question Scott is about why family and maybe friends and community have one idea about success, and if you don't follow that idea, you get judged harshly. What are your thoughts on that, Santita? I think, you know, there is, we're always trying to prove ourselves. We still don't feel that we are enough. And we're also looking for a way out. And because of athletics and entertainment, not the arts necessarily, but entertainment, because those have been projected as sure ways out. And if one you of the have few the ways that are one of the few ways that are mm-hmm. uh, in the media held up as acceptable roles for African Americans. Absolutely, you can play on a team, but you can't own it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. That's still a struggle. Um, you know, it, I think it really comes down to our desperation. We are so desperate to make it, and we want. If if this young man is 6'3 and the coach wants him, boy, you need to get out there and try it. Uh, I mean, and that has also hindered us from pursuing less traditional paths. You know, a lot of our creativity, our genius has been stifled by this. And that's something that we need to pay attention to. I mean, our, our, I mean black people have this, I heard Donnie Hathaway speak of the black pool of genius. You know, oh my at God. the same time, Dr. Wade. Yes. Oh, yeah. And anybody was, who wants to know what – go ahead, dear. I was just going to say, those who want oh, to know about oh, no. black genius, there's a website that lists the many, yes. many, many hundreds of life-changing, game-changing discoveries and inventions by African Americans, from blood plasma to the real McCoy to stop signs and stop lights all invented by African-Americans. We all know about George Washington Carver, Jr., and Dr. Carver and his revolutionary work in agriculture and peanuts, but there's so much more, so much more. But but there's so much more. I mean, and and it's all over the world. I mean, my goodness, you have got some of the great composers of the world. I mean, from Duke Ellington, I mean, to Stevie Wonder, to... Donny Hathaway, the great classical musician Andre Watts, a Roberta Flack, a and Aretha Franklin. I mean, we can just keep on going, but we will then diminish their accomplishments and say all black folks can sing, all black right. people can uh, do athletics. That's not true. Yes. Whatever your gift is, it needs to be honored. The Jesse Normans need to be honored, but she should not go into the black church. And be told that she doesn't sound black enough. Yes. Come on, it we can do better, ways. but we have to. We, you have to first feel good about yourself. I mean, you think of, excuse me, the Russian, uh, the Russian family uh, of writers who wrote the Three Musketeers, black men, uh, Beethoven, black. You know, this is but genius. God distributed genius. To everybody, and That's we have exactly to understand right. that. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, exactly he's right. an equal opportunity. He, she, the God who is male and female, into my way of thinking, God distributed genius everywhere because we're all God's children, and we need to acknowledge that. But and because you we know, need to be reminded, you got to go to BlackGenius.com. 
<laughs> oh <laughs> yes. Oh my God, and it's it's quite amazing and shocking. I visited that website myself recently. I know a fair amount, but I felt ignorant. I felt completely mm-hmm. ignorant when I recognized the extraordinary discoveries that I just took for granted, and here's how this reverse racism works. I assumed many of those discoveries have been made by people who were white because I didn't know. I didn't know, and I went, oh, oh my God. It, It will shock you, but see, it's keeping us in the dark, which is what ignorance is. That's the only way that you make a slave. You have to cut them off from information, and you have to break someone. And if we can acknowledge the information that we've been cut off from and how we were broken as a people in order to enslave our minds and keep us locked on a plantation physically and metaphorically, that's the only way we can get off the plantation today. I did a taping of the Santita Jackson show here in Detroit, and we had two gentlemen who are – uh, who are they were convicted felons, and they've come back to the community after having dealt drugs and all of this, wonderful young men. And the first project that they instituted in their community was Operation Cleanup. The first thing they wanted to do was come home and pick up the trash off the streets and cut grass, beautify the neighborhood, because beautiful people live in beautiful places. I didn't say rich. I said enriched people. That's what I mean. Yes. People who would not allow you to drop trash on my street. I don't have to have a multi-million dollar mansion. This is my home. This is where I live. And when you clean up the neighborhood, you force people or compel people, really compel people, to respect their homes and themselves. There's some things that we can do, but that's why the figures who are most beloved in the African-American community are inspirational figures. I mean, for all of your learnedness, Dr. Wade, you are a healer. You have taken all of this wonderful information that you've gotten from the great halls of academe, and you've come back to heal. And that is, I mean... As much as we talk about being holy and sanctified, and we are, the people who proclaim holiness have the most holes in them. And we need to fill in those blanks. Now, that's a very touchy subject you just raised, Santita, because not too long ago on this show. If we don't approach it. That's right. And I'm with you on talking about it. So let's, let's go there. Let's talk about... There, we had the author of the Ebony Exit Project on the show uh, when we first mm-hmm. launched. I think she was maybe our second guest. And one of the things she brought up is what you just said, which is that so many ministers are unhealed that they actually are contributing to their congregations being enslaved mentally, emotionally, spiritually, even physically. She talked about the food that is served in some churches. So, and, and you know, I, I spoke for the National, con, excuse me, the International Convention of Black Pastors, and we had pastors from all over the world, 11,000 of them, 
at this convention. How do we approach getting those who are leaders, who we want someone to inspire us and follow us, how do we approach coming to terms with the inadequacies, the human frailties in leaders? Well, be, give them the space to be human, number one. Don't have them do your heavy spiritual lifting for you. See, that's part of our problem. We have to own that, too, because we want our leaders to be perfect, and we want to go to church on a Sunday or a Wednesday, and we want them to exercise our demons for us. It doesn't work that way. You've got to give them the space. The greatest healers are the people with the most hurt. I'm not going to say that I'm a great healer, but part of my life is to help people to get whole. There's a whole lot of hurt that goes with that, Dr. Wade. Mm-hmm. And so I think that we can't ask people to be more or be for us what we're not willing to become ourselves. So, you know, let's pump the brakes on castigating our pastors. Yes, they should they should strive toward wellness, but we should do and why don't we go on this journey together? Some okay, of them we have profoundly a anointed okay, sure. No, no. Okay. This question may be right in the pocket you're talking about right now mm-hmm. about healers and leaders. This person is asking, hold on, let me get the question up. This one came in via Facebook. Okay, this is from Sandy in NMR. Where is Oh, it must be New Mexico. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sandy wants to know, do you think, Santita, hip-hop music is offensive to African-American women or should it just be considered an art form? I think there are, two, there are many sides to that. When hip-hop was rap, that is to say, when it was black-owned, we didn't have the problem with it that we have now. Uh, I remember Sylvia Robinson um, singing, uh, my goodness, what was that song? Pillow Talk, when I was a little girl. Didn't know what she was singing about, but, you know, it was a big hit. But I remember Rapper's Delight. I remember Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. Their whole message was about having a great time, and it was anti-drugs, white lines. They were singing against – I mean, they were rapping about the ills in our community, and they were also rapping about moving us forward. Curtis Blow was having a good time. But when we decided to appeal to the broader culture, it was appropriated by the broader culture and owned by the broader culture. and it became less informative and more entertaining, more titillating. We began to act out someone else's fantasy about who we really are. And that's wrong. And we need to, I believe in telling the truth, but I think that the truth needs to lead somewhere. I think it needs to lead to wholeness. I'm not willing to stab at hip-hop, generally speaking, but I tell you what, I would like to challenge them to follow the the plea of C. Dolores Tucker. You remember her uh, her campaign in the 80s. This was the first African-American Secretary of State in the United States of America. And she was the Secretary of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. And boy, they gave her a horrible time when she challenged Russell Simmons. I will say that by name, and I love him. But she challenged him and the rest of the rap community that was becoming the hip-hop community to clean up their lyrics. This was also a campaign that Reverend Jackson, my father, 
had in the 70s. He went after the Rolling Stones. You may or may not remember this, Dr. Wade. They had an album called Oh, I wasn't aware of it. Mm -hmm. Oh, my goodness. And he got into a lot of trouble. But they talked about the French girls like to do this, the Puerto Ricans like to do, Puerto Rican girls like to do this, and black girls like to blank all night, have sex all night. They used a pejorative term for that. Wow. And he said, what a slap to black women this is. And so to go from that in the late 70s to black men on white-owned labels, bosses on those labels, calling black women out of their name, and black women not raising a fuss, some, there's a disconnect here. Because there's most of those black disconnect. boys, yes, well, they were raised by black women. You know, and many of them, most of them are married or going with black women. So, whoa, where are you we know, it's, it's interesting because what you're saying is wherever we see something that is discriminatory, that is degrading, dehumanizing, that impacts the dignity of African Americans or any other people, whether it's garbage on the street, Lawns that are unkempt, whether it's people being degraded in music, we need to look at the impact. And one of the questions you're raising, Santita, I think is a really important one, which is that most people don't recognize that a lot of the offenses that happen that carry this ancient evil of racism, many of them Mm -hmm. are coming through these other avenues where it isn't that somebody else is calling you the N-word or putting you down. It's that we have taken on oppression and we now act Mm -hmm. out feeling shame about ourselves, everybody, and are willing to do some of those things. If you are a woman, I know women who put other women down. If you are Mm -hmm. African-American, You participate in those things. Okay, we're going to pause just for a second. We have a phone caller with a question. Okay, Cliff, go right ahead. Hello? Cliff, are you ready with a caller? Yeah, go ahead. uh, I think Phil. Go ahead, Phil. Uh, Hi, uh, Ms. Jackson. Hi, Dr. B. Um, Hi. Hi. Uh, so good to uh, hear from you guys. And I just got a question. Um, circling back to what you guys discussed about the uh, whole rap um, and hip-hop culture of the African-Americans and how that uh, became about, um, I just have a question regarding a um, why do um, African-Americans, like because I'm Asian-American, uh, I just kind of want mm-hmm. to, I wonder about these things, Um why do uh, African Americans still use derogatory terms such as the N word uh, in like the uh, pop in the uh, hip hop culture and the rap culture? Why is that word still used um, so freely, like in music and in movies? Like, mm-hmm. why is that still so accepted today? And I'm just confused about well, it, by that. And it's Thanks confusing. Question, if I may you know. say this, Dr. Wade. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I'm so glad that he raised it. And God bless you. And thank you for that, Dr. Wade. I was listening to the Superfly soundtrack, uh, produced and written by Curtis Mayfield. Mm-hmm. And I've just I've gone back into all of this old great music through Marvin Gaye, What's Going On, 
uh, human and ecology, for those who mercy, don't know mercy, this, me. Let me just say this. I have to say this. Santita Jackson mm-hmm. is a gifted vocal artist in her own right. So when she speaks about music, not only is this something where you have an extraordinary talent, you have a great love, Santita. So I just want the audience to know oh, she, sounds, so she sounds similar but better to Roberta Flack. So there. Oh, no, 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 no. I worked for her for four or five years, and she bought me a piano when I was a little girl. And I have to tell you, um, I learned so much from her. And when I started to sing professionally, she said, I want to teach you, I want to impart the gift of love, the love from music, and know that this gift is to be used to uplift. Never will forget that. And in answer to his question, that's when ownership becomes very important. And uh, really under and, and really being a part of a lineage of which you are proud. Curtis Mayfield, Barry Gordy would not dare make or sell music that would degrade our people or any people. You know what Barry Gordy said, one of the principal regrets of his life and great disappointments was that the first Grammy, the first Grammy earned by Motown after all of the hits. I mean, this was really pound for pound. This is the most successful record company in popular music history. They didn't have a choice, and they became that. Was the Temptations hit about drugs? Was it Cloud Nine? Cloud Nine. Oh, and he right. never wanted to release. He never wanted to release it. He said because it's glorifying drugs, and that's not what we do here. We we don't do this. And after all of his accomplishments. That's something that's stuck in his craw today. We have taken these words initially to take the sting out of them. We used the N-word to, we turned, we turned it on its head as black people will do, Dr. Wade. We will take something. <laughs> right. we, t- we make lemonade from the lemons. We're going we're to find the chitlins. We're going we're gonna to clean them up. Boil them down, and it turns out they're pure protein, and now they're a delicacy, right? So I'm I'm not saying that it's right, but again, that's survival. We've been trying to – we have been moving towards survival. But when we owned our music, the Al Bells, who owned Stax Records, he produced the staple singers, and he had them singing Respect Yourself. If you're ready, come go with me to this great land. Wait a minute. Aretha Franklin came out of her father's church and was very selective about the music he had her sing and the people she could go with so she could be very selective about being with a record company or not. She was already the young queen in training of gospel music, and she was handled by Ruth Bowen, the Queen's Booking Agency, which was the biggest black booking agency in all of show business, and she was very happy to be there. So you're saying you know, there follow the be, money. You're saying follow well, the money. Well, not, not just, I'm not just yeah, follow the, the money. You look at the, record, the degradation. Yeah, the people mm-hmm. who own the record companies, my point, this is what I'm hearing now, correct me if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. You're saying that the people who are in ownership positions who are writing the paychecks and giving out the if people do get 
you know, a share anymore in their product. Mm -hmm. But when those people came from the same history and background, the message was different. And now the money is being controlled elsewhere, so the message can be degrading and nobody's going to go, hey, wait a minute, we can do better than that. We're hurting the community because they're not part of the community. Well, not just part of the community because I, I don't want to paint with that broad a brush with white people either. Because there are, I mean, because there are people who are well and people who are not well all over the place. <laughs> you understand? Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I am saying that these men and women of whom I have spoken, the Al Bells, the Barry Gordys, um, the Sylvia Robinsons, uh, and on and on and on, they dare not, dare not have any music that would be degrading. Because they wanted something that, Billy Eckstein, let me go back to you. And I've had such a rich life, not monetarily rich, but just rich and experientially rich. Billy Eckstein, the great uh, balladeer of the, what, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, was a very dear family friend. And when he would come over with his wife for dinner, he would regale us with all of these stories. And I didn't know who Billy Exxon was. I mean, I kind of knew but didn't know. But looking back, I think about a story that really moves me, Dr. Wade. And he was explaining why he would not, he couldn't go to Hollywood and do the movies. He said, you know, they would have had me tomming and bucking and dancing. And I thought down the road that if my grandchildren saw their grandfather doing that, I would not be able to live with myself, whether I was here on earth or not. He had, he was thinking, he was a forward-thinking man. And many of us are caught up in the money of now and the thinking of now with no regard for the future, and that is our tragedy. A lot of these people who are making the music now are making the music for their children's fun times. And to be fair to many of the artists, Dr. Wade, I've spoken to a good many of them, they want to make other music, but the heads of their labels refuse to let the uplifting music get on the album. Wow. Oh, you know, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, and then all shall be added unto you. There needs to be some pride that we have. We need to refuse. We're the ones, we're the ones with the talent. We have to say, you know what, I'm not going to do that because it's not right. It's not good. I, I mean, it's just that was the thing that we faced with Donald Sterling. Those basketball players had a choice. If they had, if they had decided not to play boy, they would have set the world on fire. No matter how much the owners have, they would have no game without the players. You would have no hip-hop without the talent. They drive, they, the talented people drive the industry. Without the talent and without people purchasing. So this brings us back to where we started our conversation, which is what in us would allow us to buy music that is degrading. And part of the reason I'm wondering, if you agree with me on this, is because Mm -hmm. sometimes we don't realize because we've been numbed out. We don't realize when something is causing pain. And I know you've Mm -hmm. had this experience because we've talked about it, Santita. Sometimes it's not okay to even say, I'm in 
pain or I'm hurting or to ask for Mm -hmm. compassion without somebody saying, oh, you're a baby or everything hurts your feelings or what's wrong Mm -hmm. with you. So this, this idea of numbing out, because the music itself, is numbing out music. It's not music mm-hmm. that evokes feelings. It's not like the old uh, love songs and the old feelings that were really about expressing an emotion. Mm-hmm. These emotions are anger, mostly anger. So That's right. let's talk about that because I know you have a lot of experience with rap music and with artists. Talk about it. Well, I think that until, you know, you can't give what's not there, Dr. Wade. You can't. And if you are not healed or if you're not moving in that direction, you can't give it. We have to make a decision about the kind of world that we want to build and leave for the children who come after us. I mean, do you really believe that establishing the kingdom of God is possible? Most of us sadly do not. We don't believe that. That's why the world is up in arms today. So I think we have to step back and understand our power. When you understand how powerful you are, that's the game changer, Dr. Wade. It's the game changer. And that's the power when, comes from healing the pain, yes? Yeah? That's right. Absolutely. You've got to heal the pain. And, you know, then the mothers of these artists have to say, now, you know what? See, that's why Dave Chappelle said he left entertainment oh have mercy if you look at his interviews when people he said everybody thought i was crazy but people don't didn't realize that david chappelle's parents were called by patrice lumumba to rebuild help rebuild his nation so dave chappelle said wait a minute when i would go too far just to get the last i would come home to my mother and my aunt's and they would pull me aside because he's from a very well-educated family. Extremely and well-educated. They, uh, Ivy League education, oh, yeah. And, and, and black schools, HBCUs. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. And he said, wait a minute, hold on. He was answerable to someone. See, when you're answerable to someone, there's a difference between a tree and a floral arrangement. A tree is rooted deep, deep, deep. So when a storm comes... They might break, but they can regenerate. Cut flowers die in days. And it's very clear that he's a tree, that he's rooted, which is why he could walk away from $50 million. He said, you can't pay me for my soul. You can't do it. Hmm. And we have to, we have to, I'm just saying, we have to, you know, your soul can't be for sale. Right. It, it right. can't. And this, this may explain, I think, in part, why so many uh, young hip-hop artists are willing to sell their souls. I just want to put in a word here because mm-hmm. the brain isn't complete until you're 24 or 25 years old. So mm. you don't have the power to reflect unless there's somebody there to help you reflect. And maybe one of the messages you're delivering, Santita, is that we need this council of wise elders, people who hold us accountable, people who say it's not worth the money if you're 
hurting yourself and selling your own soul or hurting the community or hurting other people. Because I certainly don't think those messages, because we know hip-hop music is sold all over the world now. These images are sold Mm -hmm. everywhere. And that which frees and uplifts all people is the truth. And we want well, to get I mean, and I, I have to tell you, I have to go beyond hip hop because when I see Miley Cyrus, I'm very disturbed. Oh God! When yes. I saw Britney Spears meltdown, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, what I mean, there's some things that Madonna has done. She's a great artist, but there's some things that she's done that have been disturbing to me mm-hmm. in real time. So as we look at hip hop, it's very easy for us to look at hip hop and say, "Look at them." No, look at the culture, because we've moved past art into entertainment and past entertainment and titillation, and that's a very dangerous thing. We've taken these wonderful gifts that God has given us to illuminate and to lift the human race, and we have decided to turn those gifts on their ear and degrade and debase mm-hmm. the human race. And that is collectively our fault, and rap and hip-hop, that's not their fault. No, no, no. That's something that everybody's doing everywhere, and it needs to stop. Yes. Where do we I go from here? Chaos or community? Dr. King said it. Chaos or community. You know? So, Santita, when you look at what it would take, because I know you've thought deeply about this, what is your recipe for healing? What do you think it would take to get to deep healing in the black community? We've covered music. We've covered art. We've covered a lot of different topics. What is your thought about that? I think we could we should have conversations like this and do what you did at the top. We've had an African American brother call in, we've had an Asian American brother call in. When you acknowledge at the opening of your remarks, you've acknowledged everyone's pain and everyone's possibilities. That's a wonderful thing. How magnificent that is. Because if my father was running for president in 1983, He said, you know what, blacks, white, brown, yellow, red, gay, straight, everybody's got a point, everybody's got some pain. And you know what, America is a quilt, and each one of you have a patch. It's just not big enough to be a blanket. We've got to stitch all of our pain and possibilities together to come up with this great human blanket, and then we can all get warm and have shelter from the storm. It's going to require, though, that we be honest and be affirming. Don't diminish some other human being. That's why the Palestinian-Israeli conflict conflict is so complex. Yes, it's tilted in one direction. I get it. But you know what? Lions and lambs are locked into each other. And so combatants are time enough for each other. We've got to find a way to promote healing for all of those people. Because the Israelis came to the Middle East a broken, pained people. Yes, survivors, but traumatized. And they've inflicted trauma. And now that trauma has been inflicted upon the Palestinians, and on and on the cycle goes. And we just need to break the cycle of pain. The first thing you've got to do is be honest. You've got to affirm each other's pain so that you and each other's possibilities, each other's humanity. Yes, and bring and that then we can move to forward. our discussion about African Americans mm-hmm. and enslavement because the same thing applies here. Absolutely. The people it, it who were doing the enslaving 
were also people, many of them, victims of trauma. They were Scots-Irish. Many of them had come here to escape losing the war that happened across Scotland when Bonnie Prince Charlie was bidding for the throne and there was genocide of the people in Scotland and they had to escape. There was starvation of the Irish people that was deliberate. Roman Catholic, Celtic-speaking Irish people were deliberately being starved to death by the British. It was deliberate. It was in all the newspapers. Let the dirty papists starve. Those were the headlines of the paper. So we brought our trauma here. And And you see how we pay that forward? Mm. (laughs) We we pay the pain forward. Now, Mm. why don't we pay power forward? Stop telling people what they're not and tell them who and what they are or who and what they can be. And we should do that with everybody. Yeah, and I have to step into my my healer role here because you put the perfect question. The perfect question you just framed is, why do we pay pain forward? Pain only Mm -hmm. becomes a legacy if that's all we've got. I, I think about a friend of mine who's a Lakota shaman, and he's a medicine man, and he says all parents have a burden bundle and they have a blessing bundle. And their job is to take the burdens, the wounds, the hurts, the pain out of the burden bundle and heal them, then they become blessings. So when they hand those bundles to their children, they're more blessings than burdens. So we're passing the burden bundle forward without doing the work to convert to blessing. If we use that, I love that way of looking at it. And I love that, and you shared that with me before, and I have to tell you it's been a wonderful eye-opener for me because I was born when my parents were very young, and I've grown up with them. They've been always been very adult, but I could see them growing. And, you know, both of my grandmothers are still alive. And I can see, wow, my parents were pretty miraculous because they came from so much pain and so much brokenness, and they tried to be healing agents to me, my brothers, and my sister, and then to the world. And for that, I'm grateful. And I'm not alone. I mean, your parents don't have to. Dr. King said everybody can't be famous, but everybody can serve. I think that's been everybody's story. Yes. And whether your parents have given you a legacy of pain or joy or some combination of the two, which I would say I'd fall into that last category, I would say, you know what? Do a biography of your parents. You know, you and I have talked about this before. Understand who they are. Right. And then try to go back. Because when you do that, wow, you see them as human beings, full human beings. Wow. Yes. They have struggled. And I think that if we could just do that, make the other your brother, and it changes everything. It does. And we're going to take a question. Go ahead, Cliff. We've got a caller. Hello? Go ahead, uh, LeGrand. Hello, this is LeGrand Grinder, producer. Oh, our producer has a question. <laughs> I love it. Hello. Thank you, Brenda. We love Thank LeGrand. You, Brenda. you know I never do this. You know, this when is I the first Oprah, time you've ever called you with know, a question. Well, when, when, I work with, when I work with Oprah Winfrey, she pulled me out all the time and dragged me out, talked during the shows, and I'm loath to do it. <laughs> but I just want to say <laughs> welcome. 
to both of you. Uh, and But the wonderful healing that's going to happen, that is happening for everyone listening out there, I just want to make one final note for um, to let them know that if they are interested in more of this, that Brenda is preparing an audio series um, about healing intergener- intergenerational trauma with Santita and other people, and they should let, let us know at love at docway.com. Write to us and let us know if they'd like to participate because this is something that is there's so much here and so much healing and so much hope. So I just wanted to add that, and then I will be quiet. Oh, thank well, you, Well, can I ask you all one favor? Yes, Le- yes. LeGrand Green, who I love, please, everybody, tweet me and Facebook me because I want us to – Dr. Wade, I'm, I'm saying it right now. I'm claiming it. You know you are part of the Santita Jackson Show family. We're going to continue this on the Word Network. I can't I wait. I love it. I love it. And very important while Santita is letting you know, Santita, give us – it's Santita Jackson for the tweeting and for your Facebook and Santita. Oh, now at Santita J. At Santita J. That little Santita snazzy. Jay. Someone took the Santita Jackson. <laughs> okay. Santita J. Got that, everybody? Santita J. That's her Twitter handle and her Facebook handle. And, and, she and my Facebook is, is Santita Jackson and Friends. Okay, hold on. Twitter is Santita J. Sorry, don't let me get this. Let uh-huh. me get it right. Santita J. Mm-hmm. Tweet. Santita Jackson and Friends. Facebook her, and she's available on the Word Network, and there is an app for the Word Network. Is that right? Yes, ma'am. You got it. All right. So look for that Word Network app. And, Santita, you're getting ready to relaunch your website, so we want people to watch for that. Everybody, just follow Santita and whatever she's doing because here is a great truth teller, not afraid to take on tough topics. You may not agree with her, but I want you to talk with her and I want you to think about what she's saying. There is a need to heal. And Santita, what I'm going to take away from our conversation today was that beautiful image, that metaphor of each of us taking our own little human patch and weaving it together into a great quilted blanket so that we're all covered. Because if we leave anybody out, if anybody's uncovered, that pain, I'm just going to put it in a rather crass way, everybody, I'm sorry, that pain is going to bite you in the butt. We can't leave anybody uncovered. Well, you know what? I tell you what, I don't think that was crass. It's like there's a difference between being profane and using profanity. (laughs) You know I think that you were absolutely telling the truth. So I thank you for that. Thank you for being so courageous and so loving, so loving, so loving. You're just a, you're just a gift from God. And I thank oh, you, you for being thank courageous you, enough to share your gifts with us. Well, we're having a love fest here, everybody, and I want to thank all of our listeners for being with us. Please share the show, whether you're listening live or via recording later. We thank you for being with us. Share the show with everyone you know. Let's get everybody in the conversation. The question I want you all to hold is a question that Santita framed, which is how we can stop passing the pain forward and instead Let's pass forward 
our transformation. Let's pass forward our growth. And Tita, you get the last word. What do you yes. want to leave us with? Well, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and the kingdom of God is just a thought away. All we have to do is be transformed by the changing of our minds. I mean, you, all we have to do is think differently, and the world will be the place that it's supposed to be, the place that we all deserve, the place that God wants, the the place that God created. This madness is a figment of our imagination. Let's imagine something and dream a different kind of world, the world that God made. And I'm going to have to tag on to that, which is we change our minds and our heal our emotions. And I want everyone to hold, this is a word that's important to me, and that's the word compassion. Compassion mm. for yourself, compassion for every human being. Everybody has a story and everybody has pain and everybody deserves compassion. So Santita, it's great to be with you again and get to have a conversation. All right, everybody, stay with us for Good Love Radio. You know we are here every Tuesday evening from 6.30 to 7.30. You can download if you can't be with us live. And we want to hear from you. Every show, feel free to call or write in your questions. And I say blessings and goodbye for now. I love you.